On this week's episode, Lee Griffin gives some Vogue fashion advice. Like you wear a 150, you don't wear a 172. And Scott Boris, as per usual, is focused on safety situations. What if you're in a situation where you don't have life jackets or milk jugs? And I forgot to pull a clip of myself, so we're just going to roll right into the music. Welcome to the Faring Podcast. We are live streaming this on YouTube. If you hear us talk about the chat, that is why. Uh, this will be episode 90. And uh, we're just going to do, um, yeah, live Q&A, basically. I got some emails ahead of time here. We'll take some from the chat here as it goes on. Uh, I have the first question here. My question is regarding 91.185 ISR lost comm procedures. I recently passed my instrument check ride, but still have a lingering question about what ATC expects us to do in an IFR lost comm scenario. 91.185 paragraph 3 is my point of confusion. Assuming your clearance limit is an airport, does ATC expect you to proceed to the airport first and then to an IAF at the approximate ETA, assuming no EFC was given? I've asked multiple instructors as well as the DPE and come up with different answers from all. RJ. Okay, so I did, I did read that. Okay. So I kind of simultaneously read along with you. I can answer that probably pretty quickly if okay. I may. Um, yeah. Don't go to the airport, although that may be, that is a given. So when you copy your clearance, the clearance limit, like he just said, RJ said in, in his question, that is typically going to be your clearance limit. When you have a lost comm scenario, they're expecting you to go to the initial approach fix for the intended approach. Basically, basically commencing the approach as close to your estimated time of arrival as possible. That's what they're expecting you to do. Realistically, they are shutting down all of the airspace. If you go into a lost comm scenario, you squawk 7,600, and um, they're clearing the airspace because they're people may, like he said, he's asked different instructors. He's gotten different answers, and that is probably true. And I'm sure there's a little bit of nuance in what I'm saying that, that may be incorrect in some scenarios or whatever. But um, for for the most part, they're going to shut down all the airspace, try and commence the approach as close to your estimated time of arrival, or so that you basically land as close to your t- estimated time of arrival as possible. So what you would do, so in the airlines, or you know, even now what I'm flying, if I hear that there's going to be expect to hold, immediately pull the power back. Why am I going to race and go 450 knots to a holding fix or an initial approach fix for the airport and hold there until my, you know, my estimated time of arrival? Or if they said, if they think I'm going to hold 15 minutes, why am I going to spend that time in the hold just burning, burning up time? That is as close to what you can do as hovering is in a holding pattern, right? So slow it down so that by the time you get to the hold, you don't have to hold or the hold fix, or you don't, maybe you never even get there. So um, that, that would be my stance. As soon as you think you'll have to hold, or if you're in route in a lost comp scenario, keep watching the time. Get there as quick as you can if, 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 you know, as close to your estimated time of arrival as possible. If you have unforecast headwinds or you're behind for some reason, or if you're ahead, pull that power back, slow it up, hit your initial approach fix, commence your approach, and land as close to your estimated time of arrival as possible. Don't, don't put yourself in a position where you need to hold. If you don't care, whatever, do, you do you. But I would say slow it down, get your initial approach fix, do the approach. But plan, plan to be commencing the approach at your estimated time of arrival as close as possible. I'm pretty sure that's the... I would recommend just 
just find a small air airstrip somewhere and just abort everything and just land there instead. Yeah, but your IFR or IMC potentially. So Well, see there's your first mistake. You shouldn't be out then anyway. So there's that too. I hope I opened the book, that, so I'm gonna look yeah, real quick. Yeah. If someone was risking it, Scott, then you know, flying that that IFR stuff. I would get down as low as you can and see if you can find the ground. If you can find the ground. Scott, some aircraft and pilots are actually qualified to fly in IFR conditions. IMC. Oh, I know well. that's a foreign concept for well, you. Well, okay. You don't have to get it. Here's what I would do. Find a small in unactive strip like you know something something Scott, you know go on have. the go on the tip of the mic you're going to like the side something, something you know doesn't have a lot of traffic you know something something that doesn't have a lot of traffic and then just do just do a gps approach into there you know just you'll be yeah, fine i would i would say i'd say not do that i'd say follow leah's advice that's what I'd go with. Yeah, so since that little detour, I pulled up 91.185, and I can just kind of quickly read here. So the question he's more specifically asking is, the clearance limit is typically the airport. We all know that. I've never had a clearance limit that was not the airport. It's always the destination, basically. But when you have a lost comm scenario, that kind of changes things. Um, he's asking, like, do you go to the airport? Because that's like the last fix on your like your pages, your flight plan list and your GPS or FMS. So that that's kind of a valid question. The expectation, I believe everything I've ever been told in at least in my professional career is that go to your initial approach fix where the approach starts. And I'll, and I'll read here. So it says, if the clearance limit is not a fix from which an approach begins, leave the clearance limit at the expect further clearance time if one has been received or if none has been received upon arrival over the clearance limit and proceed to a fix from which an approach begins. So that's where I kind of, I guess, blended the two concepts. Just go to the initial approach fix for the proposed runway of intended landing. Um, the mo the most suitable, pick your most suitable approach. And typically, like we know that, like we'll load the, the approach before we take off. Now, of course, we're doing maybe three hour, three and a half hour flights at a stretch, but that's not uncommon for a 172 or a Warrior or Piper Archer or Cherokee. So if we're doing it, even though we're covering a greater distance than three miles, we're still doing it. We have a good idea what the wind, what the weather is all doing and what approach we can expect. So you guys should be able to do that too. That would be kind of my expectation for, for all GA guys. Know what, what a, um, a approach they're going to be planning on. Um, so have your initial approach fix in mind that you'll use. Hold there or kind of drag your feet a little bit en route. Get there as close to your um, uh, um, estimated time of arrival and then go right. The idea is that you never have to hold. Get to your initial approach fix as close to your uh, estimated time of arrival. Start the approach, and you're done. Um, yeah, so or if none has been received, so no EFC, upon arrival over the clearance limit and proceed to a fix from which an approach begins and commence descent or descent uh, and approach as close as possible to the estimated time of arrival as calculated from the filed or amended estimated time en route. So that's where the estimated time of arrival comes in. So... I'm pretty confident in my initial my initial answer to that. Yeah. Um, I got I got the next question. Unless okay. you had some poignant thing to add, I'll probably Scott. all of that probably freak Scott out. Yeah. yeah, I don't really understand what he just said. I would just disregard all of it. 
probably would be my advice. Yeah. Just go yeah. go back to just find a uncontrolled field somewhere and just go in there. All right, this is one Scott might be able to actually weigh in on. Uh, hey guys, I have been listening for a month or two now and I'm finally caught up on the current episode. Started listening as a way to get information and study up for the private pilot check ride, not the PP check ride. Seriously, who calls it that? Passed it last week in a Cessna 1973 150L. So I am officially part of the pilot club. Congrats. Congratulations. Yeah. I got checked out in a 172 right after the check ride, hoping to be able to start taking some people up with me, but I hated it. The airplane felt so slow and unresponsive. I understand that the cruise speed is higher, but it felt really sluggish and slow to respond, probably due to the momentum of the greater weight of the airplane. Density altitude was not an appreciable factor. I'm in, uh, I am in Kansas City, and the density altitude was 2,500 or so. A 172 is not a large aircraft, so it looks um, enjoyed to fly. Looks like it would be enjoyable to fly. I am going to need to fly a little airplane that is somewhat snappy. Is that something any of you guys have experienced? Obviously, the different airplanes have a different feel, and the 150 is pretty small, but I do not want um, like flying normal-sized... But I do not want to not like flying normal-sized airplanes. Before starting my primary training, I had no experience being in small airplanes except for a short flight in a friend's experimental Thorpe T-18. So it could be that I need more experience in different airplanes, Tom. Yep. Once you get used to flying a 150, you jump into a 172, it sucks. Almost everything else does. Really? Yeah. Because the the cruise speed is faster. You can take more people. It's got a bigger engine. On paper, it sounds like a way better airplane, but you get in it and it does, it's not a better airplane. Not as fun. As far not as, as fun enjoyable to, fly. to fl- yeah. yeah. As far as you the just enjoyability. have to get used to it, though. I mean, if you flew it regularly, you get used to it. If you get used to it, it does get better, but it's still not going to be as enjoyable to fly as the 150, in my opinion, especially if you learn it in the 150. I think the order from a um, like light on the controls and it is easy to manipulate and kind of tossable, if you will. I think you go 150 and then I go into like the older Cherokee stuff, which I love, then new Cherokee, then you finally eventually get to the 172. It's like their their philosophy, their control harmony philosophy was totally different with the 172. That's my opinion. I don't know if it's to like make it better for people learning to fly because they know they're going to go on to, to fly maybe something commercial or whatever, but they're definitely like purposefully heavy on the controls and just not as, not as much harmony in my opinion. No, the 172. It's not, but I think the old yeah, Cherokees are. not as enjoyable. I think not as I, enjoyable as the 150. I think the old Cherokees like in the 60s, 70s, like or early 70s, and then you get into the, even the later ones, you get them trimmed right. I think there's a really good balance there and really good harmony, and uh, the controls are, are light and kind of sporty. I think, Rob, you were, you were that you had the best sum up, I think, of the 170. It's like an underpowered sports car. It's like the 150 yes. controls. Don, that's what Don Mather called it, our flight instructor, Scott and I's instructor. Yeah. It was a, like an underpowered sports car. Yeah, Handles well, really well, but... Not a lot of power. Right. 150, you got to get the 150 horse. It's like the it's like the Mini Cooper of uh, of airplanes, I feel like. The handling's really good. It's just, there's no power at all. I think, is that a uh, fair assessment, I, Lee? Or is that too, I know you're... 
like a Mini Cooper? Your favorite cars. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I yeah, the Mini Cooper probably. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's maybe the straight Mini Cooper, not the Mini Cooper S, if that's what you mean. I'll go. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. You have all the handling manners and tossable, like I said, um, and they're just a joy to fly. Like they're not work. Like in some of my favorite airplanes, like I think like oh a Cessna 180. They probably like I'm sure if you're like if you have people in the back and it's balanced out and stuff like that, it probably gets dra- dramatically better. But when you think about being in tune with what the seat of the pants flying and kind of being right on the edge, like being like a 1.1 VSO, not 1.3 or 1.1 or 1.05, like some of these bush pilots are, you can get in tune when you have that control harmony. You're just that much more connected. You're wearing it like you wear a 150. You don't wear a 172 or really almost anything else. So from a training standpoint, but in that does make it easy category. in the training category. Yeah. That's why yeah. I, I wanted to have a disclaimer there. Yeah. There's other airplanes you can wear. Like if you have enough time in them, like a cub always is an example of that. Right. right? Yep. For sure. I mean, look what those guys do with the, what they do with those airplanes. Like the engineers at Piper are like, Oh my God, I didn't envision you doing that. You know? Yeah. But yeah, 150, that's what helps make a 150 a trainer in a certain sense, I think, because you can be connected. It is intuitive and it can become an extension of, of your body. But also then when you get into anything else, you have that like disconnected feeling. So like you have to gain that. And that's what Scott said. You got to spend some time in it and get that comfort level. It will never be as harmonious as the 150 is though. But you can I always wondered if it's because I learned in a 150 that I owned and then I always felt like oh it's just because I'm going to another airplane that's not like my baby but it really is after I've got rid of the 150 years ago and I still get into like a 172 and it's just I'll fly it it does get better once you get more time in them mm-hmm. and and you'll get more comfortable and it won't be as as sluggish and and not enjoyable to fly as it is now jumping straight from the 150 to the 172 but um it does get better but you know it's never going to be the 150 <laughs> at least from my experience yeah i agree with you i mean i i still you know my like my kind of my the gold gold standard to me is like a 78 79 archer warrior they're just so well balanced you trim them out and they're just so well balanced they're not as light on the controls because he kind of talked about almost an, a kind of an exempt or an uh, advanced kind of concept. Um, thinking, talking about the inertia and the momentum, that is that is a factor. You know, obviously you have more mass that you have to take from one plane to another to to, and that translates to some kind of you know control authority. Um, and you don't have as much, right? Because it's got more inertia going in a straight line or whatever state it was that you're trying to change it to or cha- change it from. So that, that's kind of an advanced thing. That plays a part. That plays a part. But I think in terms of the next the next best thing that gets you 172 capability, I think is going to be like an older 60s Cherokee as far as control harmony and light lightness on the controls. Um, I think that those have nice uh, shorter ailerons. You know, so it's a little snappier. Um, and then, yeah, then the newer Cherokees. But then you get like into the, the late 90s, maybe even mid, mid-90s. They got really heavy again. Piper made them really heavy and not even fun at all to fly. I hated the newer the newer Cherokees. 
I don't know what they've done what? since then, but why do they do that? I think because they think they're going to go fly something that's going to be heavy controlled. It's going to, you know, fly, you know, have much heavier control, like a, you know, a King Air, you know, a, a, a some type of jet, and then go on so to the airlines. To, it's just to get people used to controls like that. That, that would be my almost, guess. That'd be my guess. I mean, that kind of makes sense if you think, you know, where all most of these airplanes are going, one seventy twos and the Cherokees and stuff. Going to big yeah. ATP and Embry Riddle and all the Part One Forty One colleges with programs. That'd be my guess. Okay. Knowing where they're going to go. See that it's kind of a shame though for personal transportation if you're buying it for that. Right. And you don't like want something that's going to be your own plane. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's that would be huge. You know, I think about like what we did flying the islands and or what they're still doing flying the islands. Those guys. Um, you need that really quick responsiveness. You know, if you have to exert twice the effort to, to you know, roll full full aileron in or whatever, that means it takes a little longer, which means you're not as reactive. The airplane is not as reactive. So I don't know if you ever get to a limiting factor, if it actually lowers the limitation um, on the airplane, what you'll go flight in wind-wise, gust-wise, you know, but I think that's a huge factor. And there's days we'd go fly the, the archers and, well, all those airplanes, and you'd go all day, and you wouldn't hear, no, and it was a normal 122.8, a very busy frequency, and you wouldn't hear another airplane all day. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just... I remember, I remember that. They had the big intercom over the the uh, the speakers there. Well, that's 123.0, but the islands are all 122.8. Okay, yeah. So you'll be out flying the islands in, you know, 40 knots, and... Yeah, I don't think there's anybody else out there. No. One time I was amazed I heard a banner tower. And he was he's a, he's he's around like the one guy. And I and I we even he, he and I had we had the the conversation over the frequency. I'm like, "Oh man, I thought I was the only one crazy enough to be out here today." He goes, "Nope, I'm here." And it's just like it's just weird because you go all day and you almost get used to it not have hearing anybody else just dead silence or you know, the other company airplanes. But then you hear somebody else pop up, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're nuts, too. Yep, bunch of crazies up there in Ohio. Garrett says in the chat here, FA just posted an amendment. It's officially a PP check ride in Far Aim 2022. I hope that's a joke, but it, I can see it not being a joke. Yeah, so I'd be interested to see what it is about the PP check ride. That's really, I mean, why would you make that abbreviation? Like, why would you abbreviate to that? But... Who knows? And then you it got saves more time and space. Lee. Well, I it guess it does. I got, uh, Dan sent me an email. It says, yo, what about discussing takeoff and departure briefings and landing briefings? Okay. Uh, that's all I said. Dude, what? Because you, you legally have to do the briefing. briefing. <laughs> like, it can be pretty lax for GA, can it? Like, hey, this is, this is how you undo your seatbelt. Um, this is the plan, you know, if I tell you to like grab the life jackets or the milk jugs in the back, you know, do it. Yeah. Is that, can, is that, is that, would I mean, that be a, a compliant briefing as far as the, the fine letter of the lolly? I guess it depends on what he is talking about. Yeah. You have to go over exits, the no smoking, uh, fasten your seatbelts and basically the low. And like I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to water it down for a um, 
for like a 150. 150. Do I still have to to point out the exits? Yep. And how to use it. Well, I think they know where they're at, at least. There's no, I mean, there's really no requirement that, that like under 91, that anybody go over that. I mean, I'm sure, well, I'm sure that, well, there probably is a requirement, to be honest with you. And I don't even know. But under 135, we have to do it. But is it a good idea if you become incapacitated? Like, at least in a 150, it's more like a car. It's like a car, you know, car latch and doors open, right? Maybe just tell them, hey, wait till the water, till the airplane's completely filled with water before you open it, or you might not be able to open it. Do something like that. That might be good to know because people are going to panic. But like, that's kind of that. I mean, location of any other emergency equipment, but in 150, it's so sparse anyways. But you're supposed to wait till the airplane fills with water before you open the door. Uh, yeah, yeah who's ever clicking stop? That's me. Sorry, I'm not, um, I'm not I believe that's cars and airplanes and anything with doors that fills with water. Rob, right or no? Uh, yeah, yeah. You're supposed to. Uh, I'm trying to think. So no, you're supposed to crack the door before you land. Before you land, or before yeah. you ditch, I guess the case yeah, may be. Before you ditch. Oh, I don't know. If, well, hold on. I don't know if you. I think you unlatch it. I don't think you crack it, and I don't yeah, know you how you latch it. Yeah, I don't, don't want to. You don't want to seal in there. Well, I think that's why you let it fill with water. Yeah. See, so you, you basically don't, what crack if, it open, like the you unlatch it, so it's not a seal. What if you're in a situation where you don't have life jackets or milk jugs, and you want it to float as long as possible, and you wouldn't want to open the door? Well, you want you'd have to get out. You don't want to sit in it. Well, yeah, yeah it can start go. It can start going down, and if it starts going down, the pressure of the water is going to be greater than the pressure of the air, and you're not going to be able to get the door open. Then it's going well, to take yeah. you down, down, yeah. down. Yeah. Then you have a huge problem. And that's one reason why maybe it's better not to have a high wing, because then you got the wing in the way between you and the surface. So well, minimal obstruction, called, but it's called knowing how to swim. I'm really reaching, really reaching for those anti-high wing. There's not well, many. Scott always brings up that documentary <laughs> where the guy was, you know, brings it in upside down. So you could just do yeah. that. If you... Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. Bringing it upside right. down. Oh. Um, we got so, a question um, so, here. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. We didn't even hardly answer that one. Well, go, go for well, it. Well, I guess I just don't, I don't really know what he, what he wants. I don't think that's the, the briefing, briefing he's talking. I don't think that's the briefing he's talking about. I think he's talking about the actual, oh. like, the conduct, like what you're going to do. Taxi route, oh, runway. Oh, like a flight lesson? I don't know. I have no idea. What All right, it- Dan. We need more We need more in your next email. He's sometimes on the live stream, though, so he might pop in live stream to elaborate. Um, Garrett Haley, I'm checked out in a 172, and next week I'm getting my first taste of a Piper aircraft. And you're going to love it. You're going to love and it. James is going opposite. He's going from an Archer to a 172 soon. Yeah, I mean, they all have their, uh, I mean, just depends, probably mostly depends on what you learned in. That's what you're going to love. Just the way it is, I think. Yeah. Brian says, is there a difference between the phrases back taxi and taxi back? It seems like they are used synonymously, but shouldn't be. Um, I have not heard taxi back. I hear backtrack up in Canada, but yeah, back taxi. Yeah, I th- yeah, I don't. I I've never heard taxi back that I know of. 
And if I have, I would treat it like back taxi. I'm going to start if, using it. If I say something wrong or if I do something wrong, I would just say, oh, they didn't use standard phraseology. Plead. I'm going to start, start using taxi back. Well, you need yeah. to start using your radio at all. That'd be a good first step. Uh, that would yeah. be a requirement. Yeah. yeah. I, I usually don't even bother no. to tell people if I'm taxiing back. Yeah, no one at your airport. Taxi, he's already using it. He's already using taxi back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, all right, I got another one. Hey there, Farin Podcast! Exclamation point, comma. I re- I recently bought a Cherokee 180 and was curious if Scott does pilot assisted annuals, and if y'all have talked about the pros and cons of doing this. Not sure if you guys have talked about this in previous episodes. I'm still trying to get caught up. On the episodes. Thanks, Corey. All right, I don't think we have talked about that. That is a good point. Scott, what do you do? I would recommend doing one. I mean, yes. you, you, you ex- learn a lot. Can you, you explain learn what that even is? It's where you assist with the annual. Okay. Right? What, yeah. What does that entail? Like, you, you actually do this. Well, I mean, you open up the plane, do the... Ins- I mean, obviously, you're... Uh, your IA or AMP is going to do the inspection, but uh, the IA. Well, yeah, the IA, but uh, you could do it with an AMP, and then the IA comes in and does the actual inspection, or you know, or you could open it up yourself and then have the IA look through it, and you know, obviously there's some stuff you can't do yourself, like you're probably not going to do your own compression test and stuff, but. You know, you can do most of the opening all the inspection plates and taking the cowl off and taking the seats out and stuff and whatever else is required to be opened up on it. And you do this to save money, correct? Yeah. Some people do this because they want to see firsthand because they're very hands-on and love their aircraft. That's not your situation, though. No. No, I don't. You're just... Purely yeah. trying to just make sure Save you money. have yeah. to pay the the person as yeah. least amount of money as possible. Yeah, yeah, which is fair. Just fair. Yeah. He, uh, I think the you know I would do the first couple like with somebody, you know, so that you know you know what needs to be done. Obviously, because you can you can hop in and do it. Like, okay, so you you got an annual. Let's pretend you got an annual coming up. Yeah, you got your own plane in your own hangar, so this yeah. is different than a lot of people. But you can go out to your hangar, and then what what steps are you doing before the the IA inspection authorization aviation maintenance technician is what we're talking. If you don't know the acronyms, the lingo before they show up, take the cowl off. I'll take uh, all the inspection plates, open all those up, uh, pull the interior out, pull the seats out, and the carpet out. Pull all the inspection plates in the cockpit that need pulled. Uh, It's a 150, so there's not really a lot to do. I mean, that's pretty much it. Drain the oil, probably take the plugs out, spark plugs. Drain the oil, yeah. I I don't even do that. You can change the oil if you wanted. Yeah, you could do that. So how how many hours do you think that saves you on your hourly cost to have a an annual inspection done. I don't know. I mean, yourself, I've done Scott. it. I've done it so many times. 
maybe I can do it and like uh, open everything up and put everything back together in like a couple hours. Yeah. What? Did, but, how long did it take you when you were first learning? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a little longer than that. <laughs> but if you're good at working on things and if you have mechanical ability, it's not going to take you very long. You know. You, you can yeah, also tear and stuff down. You can all also the do your own uh, wheel bearings and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Grease you, pop the wheels off and uh, grease and repack the bearings, put them back on. All the preventative maintenance stuff. So I mean, work from that list. All the preventative maintenance yeah. stuff you can do yourself. So you know, there's not shouldn't be that much that you ultimately, unless there are things that need repaired, you know, or replaced. Obviously, that could dramatically change. How long, how many hours you have into this? Like, let's say you have like bad nut plates or something like that for some of your, you know, some of your screws. You know, some, what are those? Um, God, what are they? I can't remember what they're called, but not like the clip on type nut plates, the riveted nut plates. Like, you start getting into yeah. some of those that are all stripped out, that can start taking some time. Or if you're drilling, if you have to drill out anything, just put a bigger, just put a bigger screw in them. Well, that would be the first year fix for sure. <laughs> And you keep and doing that year always, over year, and you there's always uh, drywall anchors too that you can. <laughs> in there. Oh my god! But that's Don't, when it gets really bad. He's but joking. First step. He's joking. First step. First step is larger screw. Second step is is that screw important? Because if it's not that important, <laughs> you just silicone that screw in. <laughs> that's not official advice. I just want to clarify that. And then step three, oh. if the you know, if it gets really worn out, and the, or if it's a, if it's an important screw, then you can put a wall anchor in behind it, like a drywall anchor. Just that's not a very good idea. I would I would say that's it's bad. No, At least use stainless yeah. steel one, Scott. Uh, I I well, if I if I strip out a no. screw now, I I have plenty of stainless steel ones from parting out airplanes. I'll replace them with stainless, but I haven't like gone through and made sure I have all stainless steel screws on it, you know. That sounds like yeah. Not unnecessary. Oh boy. But but yeah, if I if I come across a screw that's like stripped out or or rusted, I'll go grab a stainless one because I got plenty of them. But now yeah, stainless is the way to go. Yeah. All right. So um, um so who where was the email that the guy was talking about the clearances? I couldn't find I went back through our text. I couldn't I couldn't find it. But that in this scenario, I would probably crowdsource from the chat, see what they we don't need to do it now. I'm just saying if something like that pops up where we don't know exactly what he's asking, maybe crowdsource from the email what people think he meant. Because other people may have the, the same question. The one from the start? No, the, the one about the tech, the takeoff and landing briefings and stuff. Like, what? Which one is he talking about? Like, you're briefing a passenger, or you're briefing a fellow pilot. Like, what are you briefing? You know, I don't know. That's yeah, I don't know. Right. I, I don't think he's in the chat right now. No, so, I know. But crowdsource the answer from yeah. what people think he meant is what I was nobody saying. Nobody has any. Nobody has any idea as far as okay. So you don't. Right you now. don't. So you don't. Tyler care. says quarter turns. Well, no, that. But so like cam locks or Zeus fasteners. That's not what I'm talking about. They're like a. It's a machine screw, like a fine thread machine screw that goes into like a riveted in nut plate. I can't. I don't I know, know why, but I can't. About. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Know I, what I it's can't called, picture what those yeah. are called. So if yeah. you strip out one of those, like with the um the fine threads or whatever, like that's yeah, a bitch. You, you gotta. Still 
You can still stick those back in with silicone. They'll stay. <laughs> I know, but if you're doing it right, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because typically, why are you using a machine screw? It's something they thought was important. Well, right. Be some yeah, that's coarse thread, so then, self-tapping. You know, so then you can One of those use... engineers know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Milk jugs work better than life vests, so. They they do. <laughs> because Much more versatile. Much yeah. more easy on the wallet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Much more cost effective. And they're lighter weight, too. What if you have a lactose intolerant family and then you don't you don't do the milk jugs? Is there another you recommendation could buy them. you use? Or? I don't know how much milk is, but you could probably buy a gallon of milk and pour it out and it'd still be a lot cheaper than a life jacket. Whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds pretty wasteful. That sounds very wasteful. Or you what could about buy laundry detergent? Apple buy, cider. They sell they sell water in jugs too. It's pretty cheap. There you go. Yeah. I think. Would laundry detergent uh, jugs work? Yeah, that would work. And the laundry detergent bottles are, are seem to be more heavy duty, so it might even be robust. robust. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the caps on them are are pretty solid too. They screw on tighter. As milk jug caps, a hard impact might pop that cap off. You know, right? Especially that's true. If it's one of the non screw on types. So, oh yeah, they are empty heavier liquor, though. Empty liquor bottles are great too. <laughs> yeah, Tyler. Yeah. You you might want I you'd probably go with the plastic ones though. You don't probably wouldn't want the glass ones because I don't know if they'd float as well. But the like the cheap half gallon plastic liquor bottles, those would be great. Yeah. Some yeah. stoly vodka bottles. Yeah. Oh jeez. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, some forty ounces would probably work. Oh boy. Uh any uh before we wrap that up, any cons of doing the uh the assisted annual inspection, Scott, or Lee, if you think of any. I can't think of any cons other than if you don't have the space or something or some weird situation where it's just really not convenient to do it that way. Or if you're taking it to an airport that's like not your local field, like you don't have a hangar. Yeah. Or if you like have a tie down and you're flying somewhere else to get your annual and then it's like in their hangar taking up space and you got to kind of be on right. their timeline. Or if that like, could make it more challenging. If you're, if you're IA, just like, if he's somebody that doesn't like doing that, you know, some people, some people when they work on stuff, they don't want help from mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. So it's going to kind of be up to your IA. Yeah. If, if that's something that they're willing to let you do, you know, some people. Well, I know at the old airport, they used to let people like owners, like it was a commercial yeah. shop and they used to let people do yeah. owner assisted. Yeah. It just depends. It just, yeah, it could be a case by case basis. One year it might be okay. The next year it might not be okay. Like with what they have going on, billable hours, you know, they're thinking it's easy work for them to pull panels and it's busy and it's easy money. It's billable hours. So there's that. Right. But if you're doing somebody out of their, for lack of a better term, out of their van or out of their truck, um, they may be more okay with it because that's even, they're just going to do an inspection. Like literally, they're going to have their mirror, their flashlight. There's very few things they're really going to have to do if, if you know, if the airplane is kept up, um, there's probably very little they're going to have to do and their dollar per hour value will be very high if you do kind of all the, the grunt work, take it all apart, put it all back together. I was on service side at Ferrari and I'm trying to imagine if a customer came in and wanted to do this with their Ferrari in the Ferrari shop, mm-hmm. what they would say and? probably would not be probably would not be helpful 
to <laughs> the customer's wishes. Yeah, I mean, I assume that would also go for for aircraft too. Like if you if you have a citation or something and you want to do an owner, they're probably going to be like, "What?" Like they probably yeah, just don't get out of here. That's yeah, it's probably not something that most shops that are <laughs> doing service on one of those type of things really expect you to do. But I mean, maybe they would. I yeah. don't know. So little. There, and there's so little they let you do. Maybe pull some yeah. panel, like a yeah. couple panels on the wing. Like right. there's not much that that you could, would be able to do. They would meet any of the definitions of like that kind of like parallels preventative maintenance. Yeah. Very like, little, if, I would if think. If you got a 150, they're probably going to be fine with you doing a lot of stuff. But, you know, if you've got a private jet, they're probably not going to be too excited yeah. about you working on it. All right. Um, I have another one. As we hold on, let's go to the chat here. Teas come in the same jugs, also cheaper than milk. That's a good, it's good, solid advice, yeah. Garrett. Yeah. The liquor bottle stuff is good. Duct tape, especially if you already have them around, Tyler. anyways. Yeah, Duct tape's not a bad idea because if you have a passenger that gets knocked out or something. You could always duct tape the milk jugs to them, you know, while they're unconscious, because yeah. they obviously they can't hold on to the milk jug. So if you got makes sense, keep a small little duct tape back there and just duct tape that jug right to the unconscious body. And if yeah. you're really concerned, like even before you take off, you can duct tape, or before you get in the plane, just duct tape. Yeah, the like jugs if you have you a, anyways, you know, if you got a good feeling that you're gonna have a power failure over water. I would say go ahead with the flight, but uh, you know, make sure you if you got a passenger, tell them to hold on to that milk jug pretty tight or tape it, tape it before you take off. Even it's not a bad idea. Yeah. If you if you're doing that and you you know have a wife and children or a husband and children, if you're a female aviator, you know just do the loving thing and duct tape empty handles of Captain Morgan to all of them for the yeah. for that overwater flight. Use you know, the that's the, the loving cheap, thing to do. Use the the plastic half gallons though. You don't want the glass ones. Those yeah yeah it's provide true. as much buoyancy. Yeah. Like the Stoli, the plastic Stoli bottles. I know exactly. Yeah. Yep. They go through those at Docker <laughs> Bar on Kelly's Island. Oh, I'm all sure. The time. I'm sure. <laughs> oh man. All right. Hey Rob, I have a question for tonight's show. I know you and Scott did line work. The school I am thinking about going to for my private pilot certificate is hiring line workers. Do you think it's worth doing that to help cover the cost of training? Thank you from Matt. Um, funny story. This is, this is actually how Lee and I met. Mm -hmm. Is Lee hired me because he was the head line service person at the time. Put out like a a blurb in the Sandusky Register, the paper up there. And my dad read it. Of course, my dad's always trying to get me to do, get jobs and stuff. I don't understand. He calls me <laughs> up and tells me to apply. <laughs> and then I get Lee, and then Lee hires me, and then Lee's like, oh, man, I kind of needed somebody with a work ethic. Like, this is right. really, uh, <laughs> this is kind of problematic. So I'm like, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, I got a buddy, Scott, who's kind of got, like, a little more of a work ethic, okay? <laughs> you know, if you hire him and he turns out good, you know, 
cut me some slack for the, you know less of the time I'm working here. <laughs> right. And it's, you know, so Scott did enough work to kind of cover for my lack of work at this establishment. And uh, that's how the three of us actually met. Mm-hmm. Scott and I knew each other beforehand. But. <laughs> well, I met Scott best... a long time ago when he was first learned taking flying lessons. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Really, barely, well, I don't know. We passing, really talked really. much. Like, yeah, we might have no. like passed by each other a few times or something. But and then uh, we all went flying around the one day. Right oh, that's right. I I worked there. It was like right, probably like the week before you guys decided you needed another line guy because the one you just hired wasn't very. Yeah, wasn't very ambitious. <laughs> the recent hire was not very productive. <laughs> The the best ever was when they 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 paged me and they said, "Can you come up and uh, weed eat around the offices?" And I said, uh, "Rob just did that," and she said, "Yeah, we know. So can yes. you come up and do it?" <laughs> so bottom line, would we recommend? It was fun. It was a good time. Service. It was a good job. Yeah, we had a we had fun with Ryan Eckel, uh, who is a guest on the show all the time. We met him due to line service. He was a, a line guy at this airport that we used to work at, the old Sandusky Airport. And that's how we, the three of us know Ryan. Uh, that's, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, Jack Cochran. He, mm-hmm. he used to fly. He didn't do line service, but he used to fly uh, the same company. That's how we know Jack Cochran. Um, there's probably others. Yeah, there are probably other guests that'll come out of it. The majority of the show is pretty much people who all worked for this one company back in the day. Yeah. Um, what's his name in the chat earlier? Jeff. Oh, I think Jeff. He's still there. I think he yeah. works. I think he works there currently. I'm not sure, but uh, based on the email on the list, is I'd say yes. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I I would do it if if you're able to. It usually doesn't pay that great, but. Uh, if it's like a part-time thing and you sometimes maybe get it to work at a discount or something. We ended up doing after you, well, it didn't matter to you guys because you had your own airplanes and you already pretty much, you had your licenses when you started working anyways. But um, yeah. I know when I had left, we had pretty much gotten to the point where um, they got the airplane at cost. Okay. So that if, if there is a deal like that or you just pay for fuel, which obviously would be even better. Um, I know there's those types of deals out there. But I, what I would would say, there will be probably some benefits that you'll get like directly, like direct benefits from the company, like maybe some rental agreement where it's a little cheaper or something. But what you can't downplay, what I don't want you to discount is rubbing elbows with other people, with the pe- the the you know um, frequent customers, things like that. Before you know it. There might be somebody on the field who needs somebody to sit right seat in a Pilatus for insurance purposes or something. And then before you know it, you've got some turbine time and whatever. I mean, it's so you don't know how that networking, where that may lead. It may, it may, there may not, it may be a ghost town airport and maybe nothing like that will happen. But I don't know. Just something to think about. You know your situation better than we do, I guess. But wouldn't you say, I mean, there's some good probability good potential yeah if you if you want to get into the aviation industry that's probably a not it's not a bad idea because you meet people that know it would depend a lot i guess depending on on what airport 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 there are yeah yeah, there are but if they need a line guy or it sounds like there are line guys then yeah it's probably a big enough operation where you're going to run into people 
Yeah. Or you're it's gonna meet the Jodies. You're gonna meet the, the Doctor P's. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. all those people. You know, just don't be an idiot. If you're an idiot, yeah. it's probably not gonna be pay off for you. But if you seem to be a hard worker, you got your head on straight, things like that, and you have an interest, you know, I'm, I'm sure something will something will pan out. Maybe it's not. I shouldn't have gone to hot, yeah, like well, shoot I mean, for the moon with the Pilatus statement. But maybe you need to repo somebody's airplane for an annual or pick them up in a chase plane or something like that. There's opportunities that present themselves. And if it doesn't work out, you know, 10 years from now, you can start a podcast out of spite. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and before you do the podcast, you can blame it on Scott. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a good, yeah. Yeah. it's good, good, uh, good advice. Uh, but, 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 oh, we had, there was one in the chat. Yeah. He's talking about an MEI night or a, Okay, could you guys give an opinion on accelerated flight schools that advertise M-E-I-I in nine months? That's brutal. Um, the closest thing I can recommend is we did an episode. I don't remember the number of it, but you go if you go into our back catalog of the podcast, uh, Brendan Saunders, uh, he talked about going through ATP's program, and he gave a pretty fair analysis of it. Uh, we've been actually trying to coordinate with him to get him back on as a guest. He's a... Uh, He's now a CFI down in Lauderdale area somewhere, uh, somewhere down in South Florida, and his schedule is just crazy, uh, crazy busy. So we, uh, I'm in communication with him. He should be back on the show. But um, I believe his he, he dropped his Instagram handle on that episode. And, I mean, just listen to the episode if you haven't already. That's a good uh, – he kind of just walks you through kind of what it was like. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's not the route the three of us take, took. And – uh, I know Lee and I's brief experiences with the 141 it was not as conducive to the way we are used to learning how to fly, mm. and so it didn't work well for us. But that doesn't mean it's not good for for other situations. Um, everyone learns different. Yes. Um, if you're really really smart and can blast through it that quick, um, it'd probably be a good affordable option. Um, Lee and I are not. <laughs> Lee and I are not that fast. At least I'm not. I like to digest what I'm learning at like a reasonable pace and kind of internalize it. And if you learn like that, then I can say from personal experiences, those can be brutal, those accelerated stuff. Yeah, I also, th- I, I I would attribute more to the style of learning that we were accustomed to learning to fly part 61. I it, Night and day different. It was culture shock, I think, to both of us. And it took us, you know, the first two-thirds of the thing uh, to, to get our mind wrapped around that and the structure that was very off-putting. Um, but if you've started day one in a 141, it's going to be just another day for you probably. So, Yeah, that's going to be your vision of how it's supposed to go. You, you know, it's Scott and I would argue we did complete opposite. You know, we yeah. just had 150s and then We'd have Don, who he was just a part-time instructor, um, who just come give us lessons once in a while, uh, and it was. But it took us forever to get right. our ratings, but and we weren't really in a rush. I would say it's probably for other reasons, but only one of us has a flying career, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know what. It's probably not due to how we learned how to fly. It's probably due to other reasons, but. It's, yeah, it's something you know. I if you. Those accelerated schools, I would imagine, like, if you're really, like, 
if learning how to fly is the only thing in your life that you want to focus on, it's probably fine. But if, you know, I, just for me anyway, like I always have a million things going on because I work too much. Like, so doing something like that, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. But if that's like the, the only thing that you have to focus on, it'd probably be all right. I don't know. Yeah, Scott that's, and I always had other stuff going on where right. just that would not have worked. No. Um, flying was more of a priority for me, but it still wasn't as top of like career, like this is what I'm going to do. Because um, I had other career stuff I bounce around all over the place. So yeah, it just it depends on what's going on. And Jeremy and Tessa K is the username. All of, Do all of your studying before you go to an accelerated program. That's really good advice, I feel like. Because you're going to be put through it so fast. If you could just study somehow, try to get as much information in your brain and knowledge in your brain before you go, just studying on your own, um, when you're getting that rapid-fire instruction, it's probably going to be a lot better because you're not trying to learn everything they're throwing at you because you already know some of the stuff. So the stuff they're showing you that you don't know is all you have to kind of focus on at that point. Is that fairly? Yeah. Yeah, they say it's, you know, going through any of these Excel. So getting an initial type rating is obviously very accelerated. You go from knowing nothing about the airplane to being qualified to fly it in three weeks, basically. So um, they say it's like drinking from a fire hose. You know, you go to an airlines program and you have to learn the company and then you have to learn the airplane. So it's like even more accelerated and how the way they do the things. You can fly one airplane for one airline or one company and then go to another company and they do it totally different. It blows your mind how there's two ways that you can do the same thing and be safe and legal at the same time. But it's all approved or whatever. But yeah, drink from a fire hose. If you have the ability to go study ahead and whatever, that is phenomenal advice. Anything to kind of, I hate to say this, but flatten the curve, um, that would that that would be good. That'd be beneficial. Anytime you can go in with a leg up over anybody else and you have some memory items or anything committed to memory, that's a leg up on everybody else. That means you can focus on maybe your trouble areas. Like if I'm not a strong systems guy, um, so like I tend, I need to devote a lot more of my time. Like I remember like numbers easily, like like short numbers, like whatever, like, you know, PSI, you know, what is it, what is it on the system or, and I remember, I tend to remember those things, but like, and how does this pump and this pump work and this line and you do this cross flow, what does it do? I don't remember any of that shit and I don't really care, but I commit it to memory at least to get me through some of the stuff. Um, if you, if you know where your problem, your problem areas, if you can put more attention into that, if you can free up your faculties, cause you started studying earlier um, on some of the rote memory stuff. So you don't have to pay attention then and you can focus on your problem areas and kind of, you know, level the playing field a little bit. I think, I think that's huge, huge for you and great advice. But yeah, I, I, they're always brutal. You always, like, I remember like you're taking so many notes and just to rewrite, I remember what was, I can't remember which airline, but I was writing notes in class and I would have to transcribe my notes onto a note card so that I could study them because I couldn't really read my writing the way I wrote it all and so quick and in margins and all kinds of crazy shit. And so I'd, you'd put it into a format on a note card 
it would take me all night to put them on the note card. And then I couldn't study except what I was writing. Like I couldn't, you know, bring, pull that in, but like, you don't really get any studying done other than just transcribing the note cards. It's like, holy shit. Like I remember I had like, I had 197 note cards for my one, my one type, my uh, Lear 31A type rating. I had 197 note cards. Jeez. And it's just like, I think I still have them probably, but it's just crazy. You get into some of these accelerated programs. How do you, how do you, how do you learn? You know how you learn, hopefully by the time you're taking a type ride or going to an accelerated course. Um, so use, use that knowledge to help give yourself the best leg up. But if you're going in, you're going to go fly a diamond, uh, like a, a twin star or something like that, or a seminal, you can find those manuals online. At least maybe you're maybe you won't know exactly how that school wants you to do a certain thing or run a certain flow or run their checklist. Maybe you don't know that, but you can definitely know that maneuvering speed is one twenty. You know whatever it is. Those things, the rote memory things. If you can commit those to memory, that frees up your faculties to focus on new things or problem areas of your own that you've identified. Yeah, I think that's solid advice. Uh, Jeff says five day multi at ATP was brutal. Sounds yeah, I would not like that. How many hours a day, you know, does that take? I mean, like you're doing some ground, I imagine. Jeff can chime in here. You're doing some ground. You're gonna go do some flying. Like are you doing five hours a day, three hours a day of flying? That's nuts. Yeah, that's I think. James has a good thing in the chat. I'm going to be starting my instrument rating soon, and I will be my instructor's first instrument student as they are just about to complete their CFII. Thoughts on benefits and drawbacks of this? I would. I'm I ready. Don't know. I'm ready. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what how to even tackle that. I think it can go two ways for you, James. Maybe maybe a combination of the two. They're fresh. And because you can get two different types of instructors, like there can be a young person who is sharp and on top of their shit, or there can be a young person who kind of like doesn't know anything because they're green and that's not their own fault. You may be like, like I said about Jeff earlier, he's kind of the guinea pig. You might be a little bit the guinea pig, but if it's, uh, or, and you can get an older instructor who's been around the block, who is maybe kind of a hack. Or you can get an older one who, due to experience, they have answered all your questions and have real lots of tips and tricks, and they can be very successful uh, with you as well, and they can really produce results for you as well. So it just comes down to the type of instructor. If they're really if they're new and sharp, that's great. If they're old with a lot of older with a lot of experience, that's a win win for you. But you could also have old people that are a hack and young people that don't know anything. So. I think um, you can kind James of summarize. Added the, Go ahead. Go ahead. He added the same instructor that he did his private with just now in the chat. So he probably has a decent idea of how this guy instructs or girl. Probably so. He may chime in. Just look for that as I kind of black out while I talk here. But <laughs> the if it's a 141 school, James, I can't remember his situation. If it's a 141 and they are a they went through the program themselves and then are now teaching the program, that is that's kind of huge because they've gone they've been indoctrinated 
through and through the whole program. They were they actually graduated from the program that they are about to teach. That is huge for for you because it's it's much more consolidated. It's much more streamlined. Um, that that is a totally different scenario than a part sixty one where it's kind of like fake it till you make it and you get the guinea pig type scenario where that for the first couple few students you have for a certain certificate or rating level that you hold, um, they're going to help you learn. You know, you're, you're gaining knowledge really from them because of the questions they ask. Unless you just BS them nonstop, which I hope you don't do. Um, not too much. I mean, you have to to a certain point because you may have a good eye 90% grasp and give them give them that what you know, but there may be, you know, 10% that is kind of fringy that you're not 100% sure on, but give them what you know for sure and look it up. That should be the, the go-to is, I don't know, but let's look it up together. And that's tough for a new instructor because you have all these personality types that are like, you know, type A, successful business people, you know, self-made men and women and all these things that you're trying to fight these personalities. And I don't want to say, you know, kind of grasping, you know, for like, who's the top dog in the scenario, who's leading who, but, you know, you, they come to you and pay you to, to have all the answers. And sometimes that is really, really difficult to do when it's a brand new certificate or rating level to you. So, um, he probably James probably has a really good idea. Oh, he's part sixty one. Yeah, I mean, you probably know though still what your you probably know with your experience with this individual at doing your private what caliber of instructor, how serious he takes his job, kind of a lot of the um, the knowledge that that he he or she has. If you're going to go through with it, you must think they're an okay person. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, that's a, if you didn't like them as an instructor, that's a new rating now is a perfect opportunity, unless there's just no other CFIs in the area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's a, dude, that's a, that's a great example. Like that's a perfect breaking point. If you had any type of uh, issues like personality conflicts, which don't downplay. I mean, we have it professionally. There's two type A personalities sitting up there and we have to work together and it's not always easy. Most of the time it's not easy, but chemistry and what i've talked about a lot is is you got to have that that uh, rapport with that individual have that mentor type role and maybe recognize they don't know everything I mean, obviously i don't i mean i probably, I'm probably ted said 10 things wrong tonight but have at least the respect and the rapport with that individual that you can kind of give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on some stuff and just recognize that everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes and they're going to say something wrong. And you guys can, between the two of you figure out, you know, what the right solution is to a certain problem or a certain question, figure it out together. And then you both have elevated each other through like that teamwork. So it's, it's a lot of CRM concept uh, in real, in real practice. I think that's yeah. probably a good way to look at it. Well, Jeff's in the chat. That was your, for a private, right? You had no clue what you were doing. He was like nope. one of your first, right? Nope. And he can, so. he can attest to that. I'm sure, I'm sure that he will. I'm sure that he will. And his instrument. And he was, I want to say, Jeff, I apologize, man. I don't know if I ended up finishing your, up your, uh, instrument or not. I don't know how smooth a ride that was for you if I did. So <laughs> chime in. Chime in. Um, you, 
Eamon, Eamon claims he just he got you as an instructor, and then that's why he never got his private. He just quit. Yeah, <laughs> that was after you knew what you were doing. No, no, Eamon was early on because I inherited him yeah, from Eamon. another instructor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eamon. We got to get Eamon back on. I, I will get some email, some positive email from the Eamon episode. Which, yeah, which I had never heard or listened to. It, yeah, it'd be interesting. Jeff Jeff was, I can't remember exactly where Jeff was in the uh, the, the, tra- the the thing. Yeah. Brian's no. got a good point. Uh, the ATC perspective on GA pilots, and then Garrett threw in, like, have him on for top hate top ten hated things about GA pilots, as far as ATC's perspective. Uh, Lee's friends with an uh, a an ATC controller. Uh, Scott and I know one. Lucas, uh, I know another one. Spencer, uh, we're in kind of talks. I was gonna have Spencer on. He says he had a kid or something, so he's like doesn't have the time or something right now, but planning <laughs> on doing it at some point. Uh, I I should text Lucas too, because he, he seemed like he's uh, was semi ready to go. He's got other stuff in the pipeline right now. All right, episode one hundred. Watch it live. If you don't catch it live, watch it in the podcast stream. Cool stuff. Cool stuff in the pipeline, everyone. Yeah, Jeff said uh, when he did his five day ATP, uh, the multi at ATP it was fourteen hour days. So I don't know what the breakdown of ground versus flying time is, but can you just imagine? Like I don't know where you went, Jeff, but like bouncing around in like South Florida in a seminal just oh my god that just simulator time I'm trying to find it what do you say oh I didn't see it yeah uh, six to eight hours oh and uh six to eight hours of that was 14 was on my own in the simulator and that's what I like about Jeff that dude is nuts so he we would do I don't know if you remember Jeff but like we would do two lessons a day we do a lesson in the morning and then a lesson in the afternoon or evening yeah, he was dedicated. Well, yeah, but he got his need, private in a I, month, I need which for part 61, well, Jeff probably needs Adderall too. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But um, he like he was dedicated. Like he quickly, I mean, I'm sure he knows more than I do now. Like he just quickly outpaced me, but he's he becomes a student of whatever. He's into a bunch of, bunch of stuff too. So I think he just becomes, he's got that personality where all in, like, Dial it up to 11. I'm studying every spare minute. Like, even if I'm only getting a little bit out of it, I'm just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. But so for part 61, we did his license in a month. For part 61, I think that's probably pretty good. Not yeah. having any approved syllabus or anything. But yeah, he is just um, 15 hours of flight time in Mesa in five days. Three hours a day, if my math is right. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 an animal when it comes to that. I remember that very clearly. Um yeah. I'm just trying I'm I, trying to go back here and check every make sure everything's addressed. So Jeremy and Tessa yeah. K, I have to drive one and a half hours to do my flight lessons. November first is my PP check ride. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it should be spelled in the twenty twenty two far aim right there. P E E P E E. Yeah. That's how they spelt it, I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, good luck with that. Let's know if you have any questions on anything. What else? Going into the private. Nowhere near strong on instruments, so we'll be leaning on them a lot more for your instrument. Well, yeah, but James, you know know kind of how dedicated they are and how studious they are, I think. And you'll both be learning from each other. I mean, like, let me get that completely clear. And don't think that, like, when they don't know something – 
that that there's so much to learn. Like, and if you learn something, you've probably forgotten something else. That's pretty much you can only take on so much. So yeah, you'll be learning together for sure. Just keep that in mind. Um, and Jeff said, yeah, I did both his private and instrument. I can't remember how his instrument went though. Like if where I was, if I was new or not, but man, I would definitely do things differently now. Obviously I'm sure. We're well over an hour in. If you want to read yeah. through the chat, I was going to have Scott, I sent you a, uh, the review. Yeah, to read I was just going to say, group, I got a group uh, text five star review yeah. here. Should we read, uh, here we go. Uh, who's, this, <laughs> who's this from? I can't see who it's from. It looks like you cut it off. The bottom. Now open it in the Garrett. iPhone. You open it up. No, I did. And it's, you, The way you screenshotted it cut the bottom off. Oh, my God. Hold on. Technical you screenshotted it wrong. I mean, I can see I everything. Don't, don't I just can't see. I just can't see the name. I, no, if you go into it and blow it up on your phone. Listen, Bob. I know how to open. It's from it's it's from X dash twenty nine FTE. Oh, okay. I was looking for a name. I see that. I just didn't think yep. that was the name. Okay. Yep. That's all we got. Well, we got a five star review here from X dash two nine FTE from the United States. Five stars. The fantasy footballers of aviation. I don't know if our far aim heroes. Hold on. <laughs> I don't know if our far aim heroes play fantasy football, but they are the mirror image of those three highly successful lads. Rob, Lee, and Scott's domain is the real world of aviation vice the make us. <laughs> This is very real world, right? Very real world, right here. The the oh make believe world of a game. Lots of us love. <laughs> it's not even funny. It's just I I I'm, I'm oh, trying it's to. It's funny to everybody, that. buddy. I'm oh, laughing. I, <laughs> I sound like that kid that like hates being called on by the teacher because he knows he sucks at reading out loud. <laughs> That's me. Jeremy you said, were, "Ask you Siri to read." <laughs> did you <laughs> look at that? <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> Siri, <laughs> I can't. Wait, what? Read the chat. <laughs> Jeremy oh, and Tess said, "Ask Siri to read." <laughs> ask Siri to read it for you. <laughs> That's <the shit. laughs> oh, yeah, I need to type these out. Right. <laughs> okay, all right. So, continue. Rob Lee and Scott's domain is the real world of, of aviation vice, the make-believe world of a game lots of us play, love to play, that Andy, Mike, and Jason discuss. But the dynamic of three old friends bringing their different perspectives to all things aviation is spot on. Informative most of the time, irreverent some of the time, and entertaining all of the time. I download a lot of podcasts, but there are only two that I ever really listen to, and I'm sure you can guess which two. Somebody needs to give these guys a sponsorship. Uh, well, thank who, you. What, what was the name, though, Scott? Well, I, oh, I said that in the beginning. The name on that? I said it in the beginning. Oh, it, it is. From I said that in the beginning. He said X, it again. X-29FTE 
from the United States. Thank you, X-29FTE from the United States. Yes, we appreciate you. the five-star review. <laughs> Signed, uh, David and Clark. <laughs> Tyler's in the chat. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> yes, we'll wrap this up. I'm sweating profusely because I'm recording yeah. in South Florida where we have two seasons. I heard this on another podcast, uh, so I don't want to take credit for it. A podcast about podcasting where the, they were recording in South Florida. And they had to have their AC off, like I have my AC off. And we basically have two seasons in Florida, summer and February. So <laughs> I got to go. We got to shut this down. I'm not even staying here tonight. Uh, I got to drive across town. But where was I? This is the outro, right? Yep. Thank you yep. for listening. Email yeah, is thanks, our preferred everybody. method of communication. I got to do the emails. See, we messed this up. See, this is what I edit. So everyone who listens to the podcast doesn't realize we do this. And it just, it flows smooth, you know? Email is our preferred method of communication. My email is F-A-R-A-M at robertberger.com. B-E-R-G-E-R is the German way, not the sandwich way. Mr. Griffin is F-A-R-A-M at leegriffing.com. G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And Mr. Boris can be reached at F-A-R-A-I-M at scottboris.com. B-O-R-E-S. And uh, yes, be sure to get on the email list for the live streams, robertberger.com backslash live. Make sure you, uh, when we when I send that out for episode 100, going to want to be on the email list watching that live before everybody else in the regular podcast hears it pop out in the stream. Got a cool, cool stuff in the pipeline. Uh, thanks for bearing with us for the uh, lackluster edits recently because I've been uh, focused on something else, so barely... Uh, have time to to do this the the show but we're gonna keep it going um it's gonna be good stuff episode 100 thanks for listening everybody thanks for tuning in the live stream if you guys are here yes and thank gals. you very much guys and um yeah see you guys later yep later see ya thanks guys All right, I'm going to bed. Okay, good night. The, good night, Scott. Yeah, night. This is kids. the end of the. This is the awkward part where we're still live, but like I'm trying. Which to Which is my, like my favorite part. Which is my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. I don't usually stick around for this part too much. No, we know. All right, I'm gonna leave it up. So then, yeah, you leave can it interact up. with the chat a little bit. Yeah, leave it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The post. The post. Right, stream chat. Later. Okay. All right. See you, Bye, Scott. Scott. Good night. Leave your browser up. Leave your browser up. Don't. Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. YouTube does, Jeremy Tess K here. Yeah, YouTube needs to remain the platform. It is easy because I, I don't have all the, I'm like anti-social media. So I'm turning my AC on, so if you hear that, uh, I'm just sweating. All right, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, nobody cares anymore now that it doesn't need to be podcast quality. Well, the only thing is, like, in Twitch, I have the Twitch app, 
well, kind of for only for this, really, that's all I use it for, but I can interact. I can say something back to you. I'm not going to do that with um, YouTube. I'm not going to get a YouTube account. I'm just not going to do it. I don't know how that works, but I'm not going to do it. The YouTube account? Yeah. I, have not, well, yeah, I obviously have a YouTube account. That's what we're on right now, but. Everyone always, I, I sent out the links in the emails and people were like, there's no videos on here. I'm like, yeah, we just use it to live stream. Yeah. One, maybe one day, right? I don't know. Maybe. What? Know. You never oh, know. Yeah. yeah, you never know. Yeah, there's stuff. Oh, lots of ideas. Nancy oh, said, I still want to hear Lee's side about being choked from a student. Choked from a student? I don't I don't know what that's about. I don't know how to take that. Nancy, what do you mean? What does that mean, Nancy? <laughs> um Yeah, don't no, be a Scott yeah, don't, Boris. don't Yeah, don't be a Scott Boris. We <laughs> not much more easy to say. Here's a little more uh little more I never heard what everybody was drinking tonight. Nobody said anything in the chat. No? No nope. I didn't see anybody. Just reading through. It was here. on the episode with Amen. Okay, Nancy. Nancy said it was on the episode oh, with Amen. What did he say? It wasn't a student. Uh, you. Oh, Amen brought out that us at che- uh, yeah at Brutus's. Oh my! You getting choked out by that so was, that, that wasn't a student. That wasn't a student. No, that was just oh. some random. That was just some random woman at the bar. Uh, that choked yeah. out Lee Griffin. And yes, we. We thought she was joking, and then there was a moment. Aim and I look at each other, and we're like, "I don't, I don't think this is a joke. I think she's really choking him. <laughs> we had to pull her off of you." Yeah, that was interesting. Because <laughs> you were just like awkwardly like, "I don't know what to do. Do I throw this person off of me?" <laughs> well, yeah. How do you take that? Like, it's just completely unwarranted. Like, I don't know. I was in yeah. shock and inebriated. <laughs> I think we were drinking those Gatorades. Oh. Remember, they used to make those Gatorades. Oh, those things were dangerous. Dangerous. They mix. They mix some concoction at this old bar we used to go to. It's like Brutus's. seven different shots or something. Yeah, and it just tasted the mixture amazing. of this alcohol just tasted like Gatorade, but it was just like the proof was off the charts. <laughs> yeah, like you have like one or two, and you're done. Done. D U N. Done. Um. Yeah. So then, uh, is the eight eight Delta hangar party still in the works, Robble? Kick that one over to you. Uh, yeah, we're we're uh, episode one hundred. Um, hopefully, we can. Uh, that's not the main thing in the pipeline. That that is in the pipeline. Um, hopefully, we'll have something ironed down. Um, in that episode one hundred, that's not the primary reason for the episode. But yeah, there's, there's a. Yeah, we're planning on doing it. Uh, we thought of a different. It's not like the hundred thousand download thing. I mean, we blew past that. Um, time-wise, we'll probably be at a quarter million by next summer. Just thanks, thank you, everybody. Uh, it's huge. The numbers are crazy. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. So we're just gonna we're not really celebrating download for that thing, but we do want to do some uh, do something at Scott's place. Just it's such a cool um, th- resource to have. Basically, like most people who have podcasts about yeah anything don't have you know giant airports to like do like events at and stuff not giant but there's a decent right. amount of spots for to fly into if you can get in and out of a 25 right 100 foot grass strip of northern ohio 
Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that would the, be the It's kicker. in the pipeline. Grass strip, I just, but hopefully yeah. next summer. Stay tuned. But stay yeah, tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Just stay tuned. That's 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 what we want the takeaway to be. Stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. Um the suspense. Back yeah. Um yeah, good for you, Garrett, not having Facebook. I appreciate it. Stay strong, brother. And Josh uh said, um, or Joshua, nice dudes just try to kill me. And yes, that will continue. And the scariest people I ever flew with was one who was a retired airline guy. And another one was an F-18 pilot. Two most scared I've ever been really in an airplane that I didn't do to myself. And like, they were just not that they didn't have any skills. Clearly they both had tons of skills. They just not, they just did where they were just rusty in a light GA airplane. And if I remember, you know, it's summertime and it's gusty and, and things like that. So yeah, just, you gotta be on your toes when you're doing that checkouts are even worse at least when you taught somebody to fly or in the process you know kind of what their skill levels are like you know what they know for the most part and what they don't know you get somebody who's coming in for a rental checkout and they're filling out the insurance form and how many flight hours they have and what they're typed in or whatever can be very deceiving so like it's tough and i find it really tough to like toe the line between i think you i'm gonna treat you pretty much like you know nothing while giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like, how do you interact with that person? Like, oh, yeah, I know you're you're okay to do this takeoff, but are you really, or are you just going to take us outside the runway and chew up the runway lights and damage the airplane? You just don't know. So, yeah, just, yeah, you just got to be on it with them, especially if the weather's less than ideal. Um, Air Wisconsin captain see, checkout. That's what I'm talking about. Zero flare on the landing. Yep, that's what he's talking about. Well, and then in like in Air Wisconsin, they're flying CRJ 200s, which I'm used to. Like you're like flaring it, like basically you're rounding out in the flare, like when you hear like 50. You know what I mean? Like in the um, in the CRJs, you can pull the power pretty much like a like a 172 or something at like 50 feet, if I remember correctly. Where like in the CRJ 700, 900, you know you have so much inertia, and it's pretty much a totally different airplane, anyways. But you're, I mean, you're like hearing 20. 20 feet and chopping the power and then probably doing a firm landing. But it's a totally different sight picture when you're um, flying something that I don't want to say that size, but when you're flying something that you're that disconnected from, maybe, you know, it's just kind of all artificial feel and you're waiting on those call outs, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. And when you don't have those anymore, like you have no idea. Like obviously, he didn't. If he didn't flare at all, like he's probably thinking, like I'm, I'm lower or I'm higher than I think I am, which I find hard to believe when he's coming from something that sits four times, three or four times higher than that 172 does. I don't know. I can't explain that one, but it's a big thing. You can't land those. Um, if you so think about this, guys, in GA with um, think about landing an airplane at 600 feet a minute. That is totally acceptable. As long as you land the CRJ at 600 feet a minute or less, you're fine. Rob, can you imagine hitting the ground 600 feet a minute? No. I know. It's mind-boggling, but that's like one of the limitations on the airplane. That that would be a lot. Got a yeah, but decent suspension. We had, um, we had, so like hard landings were like a thing because we were, when we, so it was the same type rating for all three, CRJ 200, 700, 900. One Google search will show you like how different those airplanes are. 
the 200s are trailing link and they're small and the deck angle and everything is different. Like it's a deck angle down of like two and a half degrees on final where like the deck angle on a CRJ 700 or 900 is like one or one degree, one and a half degrees up all the way on final. And like you have slats and flaps where the CRJ 200 only just has the flaps. Could not be any more different, those two airplanes. I mean, they felt, they didn't feel the same. Nothing felt the same, but they're all the same type rating. And like when I left, we were like one or two hard landings away from the FAA being like, no, you fly the 200 or the 700 900. You don't fly all three because we flew all three. You'd fly all three different airplanes in one day. Totally messes with your brain. Yeah. So. At what what foot per minute is going to make it feel like a hard landing for the passengers, though? At, like, what are you shooting for when you touch down where, like, all the yahoos in the back will start clapping? How, oh. how soft does that have to be oh, to, like, God. have it feel yeah. soft in that plane? I'm just trying to get a gauge for, like, the suspension. Because you, you pop it down at 600 foot a minute, it's probably going you're gonna feel it the passengers in the back are gonna feel it and be like that was rough i'm guessing even oh, though it's designed to do that me sitting in the back as a pilot and i fell 600 feet per minute i would assume there was structural damage anything over and so in <laughs> anything no in anything over 600 there needs to be an inspection there needs okay. to be an airframe inspection so i mean that's like yeah. the limit like you probably you could have caused structural damage at anything over 600 feet a minute. So, um, that, that, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about like, Oh, that's going to be really firm, whatever. No. Yeah. It's going to be like jarring. Like your teeth came out like there, you bent something for sure. So yeah, that's the absolute limit. I mean, you, you hurt something, um, at that, um, everybody likes your grandma's teeth. Well, right. Of course, of course. But now they're going to be in multiple places, not just one place. Um, 600 feet per minute touchdown would make, yes, my happy customers. I would think one thing that I don't, I don't know that a lot of people understand is with these airplanes, when you touch down a lot of the firmness that you feel, and you may know this from like, depending on what GA airplanes you're flying, a lot of the firmness or the jarring that you feel is actually the spin up of the tires, so if you do a straight run wind straight down the runway and you're landing and so you basically all all of your tires all your mains are touching down pretty much the same assuming you don't have tandem tires like on a um an A330 or a 75 or something like that assuming it's more conventional like in a, any of the regional jets and you or or I'm not sorry regional jets but any of the non tandem type tires uh, a, A320s, 319s, 321s, 737s, all those type things. Assuming you just have the kind of a standard, you know, dual um, side-by-side uh, main landing gear. Um, you're, 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 um, you're spinning up a lot of rubber. They're from zero, and you're spooling them up. So you can do everything pretty much right. And if you have all of that rubber, four tires all spooling up simultaneously, that's a lot of the, the jarring motion that you feel. Um, and that, that's really tough to anticipate as a pilot. You just try to isolate, you know, your form and your, the, the, do, the, do everything right, flare at the right height, power out at the right height, flare at the right height, and just kind of, you know, move your vision from close in 
at a far end to kind of maintain that height and just try and just obviously you're not doing a full stall you know you're not doing that in a in a, in a transport category airplane but do all of the basics and sometimes you end up it kind of feeling kind of crappy just because the tires spool up so but i would think you know the closer you are to zero on the sink rate the the vertical speed um the better it's going to feel you know you're trying to blend those perfectly so i mean i think probably 50 feet a minute probably is probably what's going to get you some yeah. some I, I had a buddy he told me that he landed so smooth one time in one of the crj series that the ground lift dumping that activates didn't even activate they had to manually deploy the spoilers and that's nice. like some next level i don't even know how that's possible but that's what he told me i believe it he was a good nice. pilot, but yeah that would be what i would be trying to do if i was flying those things yeah, but there's a lot of balls you're trying to juggle because you're you're not you're not thinking like, oh, I got five times more runway than I need. You know, you're landing somewhere sixty eight hundred feet and you need fifty eight hundred, you know, or more. Yeah. You know, we worry about that in the Lear. Like you're trying to land, you're trying to get those mains to touch down on those fixed distance markers. You know, not that anybody's really going to call you on it, but you're trying to operate at a. I was trying to. Operate at a level higher than than normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm, that's just me. Not that you have to or anything. It's not really any different. You're just flying a big, big airplane. Yep. All right. I think I'm gonna wrap this up because uh, I just remembered I have got to finish the edit for tomorrow okay. morning's show that's released on Thursday mornings. So we've. I I hate being delayed on that so i got like another half hour of that at least to get that up on the server so it goes out to everybody tomorrow morning um so yeah let's let's cut this off again thanks for coming joining us everybody yes thank you appreciate it now's the awkward thing where i try to shut this thing down and we're still here after we already said goodbye yeah there's 12 people watching this awkwardness (laughs) (laughs) yeah thanks guys we uh we like it when you guys Wait, we got six viewers now. We're Wait in. till it gets like We're in. 11, 11-ish. Then we'll we'll kick it off. Feel free to go into the chat, anybody. Aaron, Aaron. welcome. What's up? Oh, Jeff. Jeff is in. Hello, Jeff. I know Jeff. All right. I've been, I've been emailing there, Jeff. Lee? This is some wild turkey long branch. I just got it today. Ah. Trying it out. Really? Yeah, sounds, yeah. Sounds let pretty, us know how it is. I believe me. I'll let you know. We'll see how this episode goes. You might know without me telling you. What uh, what are you drinking, Scott? Bushlight. Stop. Oh, bushlight. I thought you were not. Okay, I got the Peroni going. Oh, nice, I don't nice. Know what is, but... It's like an Italian beer, it's a, right? It's yeah. Sound. I got used to it. That uh, sounds about Spencer, right. Spencer, how you hey, doing, Spencer? All right, we got some emails I'm going to start going into. Let me figure out how to kick this off. Uh, do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, right, Jeff. You probably know oh, more than I do it. now. <laughs> he was a previous student of mine. Oh, yeah? Jeff? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. In real life? Yeah. 
Oh, I remember Jeff being on. Uh, I remember seeing his at uh, email address in my uh, the email list. Okay, I know. Yeah, right. That one stands out if he's using the yeah, one he used I'm to. Sure. Yeah, it's like, oh, this yeah, guy I'm sorry. might. I'm sorry to what? hear that, Jeff. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I know. I kind of know what it's like a little bit. I've been instructed. Okay. Uh, he usually just yells at me. Sometimes <laughs> he hits me. It's scary. I have calmed or, down a lot. Jeff was like almost a guinea pig. Should have been paying him. I'm just glad that me. we have one of Lee's former students in the chat now. This is great. Um, did you want to, Lee? Did you look at that uh, lost com procedure email I I sent you? If that came later in the day, no, I did not see it at all. Oh, it was like the first. Um, it was a, one of the first ones I forwarded you. Uh, in the text. If not, we can skip it. We can make a whole episode on that, um, is what kind of what I was thinking. We can certainly do that. I mean, I can... Why did I not it was, get that? It was, uh, it was... My question is regarding 91.185. Hold on. 